of America, Washington, D.C., signing on. to another episode of Radio Contra, the podcast of AmericanPartisan.org, and of course, hosted by me, the Commandante of the Mossy Oak Militia. And we have been number one in news commentary now for four days, going on five days uh, as of this recording. And I think that is pretty awesome. It owes to the uh, really incredible nature of this audience and what we have been able to build uh, over time. And uh, just, just to be ranked number one over a lot of very well-known names in the larger conservative talk radio podcasting uh, universe is, is really something that uh, is, is amazing. It's something that, that I find personally um, a big honor. And it really speaks to this community. But in this episode, I am joined once more by my very good friend, Mr. Monty of Active Threat Solutions and Everyday Ready. And we're going to be talking about bug out vehicles, specifically how to set them up, diving a little bit more into the recovery aspect of, of things, because that is a reality. Uh, that is a reality. And when you're talking about the bug out. Uh, however it is that you envision that, whether it's an urban scenario, whether it's an off-roading, um, out in rural scenarios, or it's just an everyday life, setting up a vehicle for, for everyday ops. You know, we broached the topic in the last episode that we did together, and, you know, we we really need to do a multi-part series. And so this is uh, the second episode of several that we're going to be diving into this topic because it is a broad and a deep one. But without further ado, brother, it is good to have you once more. Hey, it's great to be here. Always great to be with you. And it's definitely a really important topic. So ready to rock and roll. Yeah, man. Um, So last episode, we we got into recovery operations. We were talking about operating in and out of vehicles, how to set them up and kind of got into it, but it's, it's really too broad of a topic to dedicate 30 minutes to an hour on. And we really need to, to go into it deeper. So 
paring things down a little bit and getting specific into the nature of all this, you know, the bug out vehicle, it's one of those things that you know, everybody in the prepper community talks about, has talked about and really beat to death. But at the same time, at the same time, just like everything else with the medical topics, with shooting, with communications inside of my wheelhouse, you know, there's a lot of really bad information out there too. Um, and, and, you know, one of the things you specifically mentioned that I think uh, is, is critical. One of those things is the, is not using metal shackles uh, metal on metal and using the, the fabric shackles instead. Um, you know, it's, it's tips like that, you know, that kind of in, in some ways defy conventional wisdom, but at the same time, when it's coming from a pro, when it's coming from somebody who, who knows what they're doing and trains others in this, you know, that's a, it, it, it's a little bit more relevant than what a lot of other people find online and in social media and what have you. Uh, so talking about bug out vehicles specifically, how is your vehicle set up for day-to-day operations? What do you have in there? Well, in, from my opinion, one of the most important things about preparing uh, what, what we're referring to as a bug out vehicle is really being able to be prepared for the unknown, the unexpected. So there's going to be lots of different elements in there. We talked about recovery equipment because certainly when you're trying to get out somewhere, there's always the possibility that you can get your vehicle in a bad situation. Maybe, maybe you've got a lot of traffic on the road. Maybe you've, you decide to take uh, you know, a, a route off the beaten path and maybe you, one of your vehicles in your group ends up being stuck somehow. So having recovery equipment is def, definitely key. Having other equipment to handle other crisis and emergencies, uh, whether, it's, whether it's medical, is, is certainly important. Um, and we don't need to die, do a deep dive into that, but you, you want to have equipment and skills in order to handle the variety of different situations that you might encounter. Uh, defense is a big one as well, because if let's face it, if we got to get out of town, situation is not good around the house, right? If we have to pick up and leave and carry everything that we think we might need with us, this is a bad day around our neighborhood. And one of the things in the rule of the three is, uh, you know, Three minutes without oxygen, right? Uh, so basically, what what that refers to is everything that is is security, health, and safety related. So, really, having defensive capability is a big part of that. So we're gonna we're gonna want to make sure that we have the ability to defend ourselves and and our family or others that are with us when we're trying to make our way to a safer place in a really bad environment. So that's certainly an element of this as well. And then we already referred to in the last episode, the need to, to have certain bulk important resources like water and fuel, fuel to extend our range and water to, to keep us alive and to even possibly deal with some, some mechanical issues or some utility needs along the way. So these are just but a few of the things 
that that overall we refer to. But so the concept here is it's really a it's really a lot like a bug out bag with wheels. It's starting to sound kind of familiar, right? I mean, really, we're talking about a big bug out wheel bug out bag with wheels here. So um, one other thing that's critical too is the communications piece of this. Because we're going to be, if, if we're getting out of town, Lord knows, hopefully we're not doing this by ourselves in, in an environment where we need to leave our home. If things are that bad, hopefully we've got the support of family or, or other like-minded friends that are undertaking this movement with us, which now uh, suggests that communications becomes also an important part of the game. The ability to communicate between us when necessary, and also the ability to communicate with people at a location where we may be headed. And of course, the ability to monitor the situation going on around us. And then finally, another big item that I want to definitely hit on is the concept of navigation. You know, everybody thinks about, okay, we're, we're bugging out, we're getting out of town. Well, guess what? If things are that bad around our neighborhood that we have to pick up and leave our home, well, everybody else is possibly thinking about the same thing. So we're likely to run into a situation where the highways are clogged with people. We've seen this over and over again with storms, especially these big hurricanes that would come in and change direction. And we've seen situations where people have been literally stuck out on the interstates trying to get out of town, trying to get out of the path of a big storm. The storm changes direction. And next thing you know, their situation has gotten more dire. The, the traffic is, is just majorly clogged up. So one of the important elements here is, is not only your ability to navigate, but now I'm moving to the big part, which is planning. And, and this is the part that people least like to sit in class and listen about. They, they want to get out there and they want to do all the cool stuff. But really and truly, the planning involved in a, in a movement like this is really one of the most critical parts. You got to have roots, alternate routes and alternates to your alternate. You got to be prepared to go way out of your way to get where you need to go because a lot of the major routes could potentially simply be impassable. Yeah, 100%, 100%. You know, we, we've talked about pace planning. I mean, you, you've been in the RTO course, and, you know, uh, we, you've been in the scout course as well, and, and you know, mission planning is, is huge in that, and it overlaps with everything. Pace planning, primary alternate contingency emergency. You know, uh, a lot of people in this day and age can't function without GPS, and I think that's really uh, – we're, we're in kind of dire straits at that point, you know, map and compass, uh, knowing how to navigate, you know, with, with paper. Um, you know, I carry an Atlas in my truck and specifically wherever I'm going, cause I spent a lot of time on the road, um, wherever it is I'm going, I carry an Atlas that is going to get me there and back. I mean, I have a United States Atlas. Normally when I go to a, a new state somewhere, um, you know, I'm going to pick up an Atlas for that specific state. You know, I have a whole bunch of them now and, uh, you got to update those periodically, but remember, you know, that you might have to move away from the interstates. You know, and, and you, right. you start getting out there in, in BFE land, man, you know, and, and you got to think, too, along those lines, you pointed out that if if you're bugging out, 
and a lot of other people are doing it too. The situation's already pretty bad. Man, honestly, the, the locals in some of these rural areas are not going to be friendly. You know, so you, you kind of got to know, you know, it realistically um, have an idea of where you're going for sure. You know, have, have alternate routes to get there, but understand a little bit about the human terrain. Now, backing it up, you know, uh, you mentioned carrying fuel and carrying some, some of the other stuff. What's, first of all, let, let's down to brass tacks. What's your selection in a bug out vehicle? What do you have? I mean, I know the answer to this, but for the, the listeners, what are you running? And, um, you know, how are you implementing the fuel storage and how's your vehicle set up? Okay, so let's talk about fuel. <clears throat> First thing is, it's really hard to beat the good old jerry can. You know, the Germans invented it. It's a great tool. Still works today. Um, we like to use the, uh, the, uh, the USGI, the big, uh, the big plastic jerry cans. They're a little more friendly to use than the older, than the older metal ones. And uh, they work great. You can get those, you can get those for, for fuel or water. And there's a number of ways to carry those in your vehicle. You can, you can secure them using your own methods, or you can acquire a lot of different carriers that allow you to carry those outside your vehicle, on top of your vehicle. There's even systems that are sold now that allow you to kind of stack them outside and they're color coded. There's a lot of ways, you, you know, people are looking to, to spend your money. But at the end of the day, you know, go ahead and invest in some jerry cans for water and fuel. That way, when you get on the road, you're able to extend your range. It's not really that big a deal how you carry it. You don't, when it comes to preparation, you don't have to spend a lot of money on a lot of fancy gadgets. At the end of the day, what's important is that you have that extra fuel and you have a means of carrying it securely and using it when you need it. A couple other elements to that fuel part of things. Uh, one is you, you wanna look at having some means of transferring fuel. Now, if you're a construction guy and you've got vehicles with transfer tanks and all that, good on you. You can carry a lot of fuel in a transfer tank. You can put your own transfer tank inside of a camper shell or exterior on a vehicle or a trailer. Uh, you wouldn't believe the creativity that we used in, in moving fuel back in the, in the recovery business in, in very creative ways. But essentially, a transfer tank is a really good option. Even just something as simple as having what we call a shaky hose. You see these in the truck stops. If you see one in the truck stop, buy three or four of them. They're awesome. You can get them in like a half inch diameter or you can get the big, you know, three quarter diameter ones. And they allow you to quickly transfer fuel from one place to another. I have many times taken my backup fuel in the vehicle and literally transferred it out of the jerry can right down into the fuel, fuel nozzle without even removing the jerry can from the vehicle. So very, it's very important to think about the ability to transfer fuel. And you might even need to extract fuel from some other piece of equipment that you have that, or, you know, so having the ability to do that is important. And then finally, if you're, if you're building up a vehicle, they make aftermarket, you know, larger fuel tanks. So you can get fuel tanks anywhere from 50 to 95 gallons that will install under a pickup. You can get multiples under there and even the ability to, you know, switch between them. 
Now that's a little, that's getting a little uh, complex and anything complex is usually a little more suspect. You know, I like simple solutions myself, always after the simple solution versus the complex. But, you know, having an extended fuel tank and the ability to carry bulk fuel, you know, in jerry cans, that will go a long way. And the same with water. I mean, yeah, that covers a lot of bases. Oh, 100%. So you're saying that, and I'm chuckling because, I mean, it's a foregone conclusion in a lot of people's minds. You're saying then that having a truck is pretty much ideal when we're talking about having a vehicle that's capable of, of performing these tasks. Oh, absolutely. And I would even go a step further. I would say having a, having a truck with four-wheel drive and even a camper shell even takes it another step further. You know, back when I was doing uh, contracting work in the field, you know, we used open trucks because we had to pull gooseneck trailers and we had to haul a lot of big things in the back of the truck. So camper shells aren't convenient. But if you're not doing that kind of work, a camper shell buys you a lot of, of, of cool capabilities. First of all, you can keep things out of the weather. Secondly, you can put a lot of stuff in there and keep it out of people's sight. You know, you can put things in there that people don't see. So you can secure it. You can protect it from the weather. And, and so really having a truck with, with a camper shell is a, it's a pretty darn good setup, especially if it's stout enough and you have some type of uh, some type of rack on top that if you had to carry something additional, you know, you can always throw something on top if you need to. But uh, I, I think, a, I think a stout diesel truck with um a stout diesel truck with with four wheel drive capability and a camper shell is a really great platform to start with. So, why diesel? Because I now in, in you know in working with you for a number of years now, and I mean I'm grinning a little bit when I say this. I know that that you're knee deep into diesel. I'm knee deep into diesel. Um, a lot of other people in, in the prepper, survival, what have you, uh, genre, it, it's kind of a repeatable thing that, that we all drive diesels. But but um, they, there's a few counterpoints to that. One, I mean, the, the cost of diesel vehicles is through the roof right now. Um, you know, it, it, uh, just buying, buying a used diesel, I mean, it, it's going to cost more than in some cases buying a new gas powered truck. Now there's a, there's a lot of reasons back and forth for, for all of that. Some valid, some not so much, but you know, it, it's like, uh, I just bought a cut me, uh, an M1009. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, you know, and, and you got eyes on it. And some of my followers uh, on Twitter have, have seen a few pics and uh, been playing around with that thing a little bit. And, uh, you know, just just uh, going through a drive through the other day, going through a drive through with it um, was uh, had the fam and picking up a little bit of food, you know, for lunch. And we, we were getting ready to uh, to head up to the training site and, and doing some cleaning and whatnot up there and made some deer chili and everything else. But I had a guy behind me and, and uh, you know, I got the windows down, and, you know, everything. Cause it was a nice weekend. Got the guy behind me, start yelling at me. I turned around. I'm like, what the heck is he yelling at? He's like, Hey, Hey, 
hey, I want to buy your truck. And I'm like, no. <laughs> what do you mean? I mean, it's, here's it. You know, you got a guy in a minivan, you know. Yeah, you, you're, you're suburban looking type guy, uh, you know, clean cut, obviously family man in, driving a minivan because why else does a man drive a minivan, you know, and he's saying, hey, I want to buy your truck in the drive through, right in the drive through. And I'm like, no, you can't drive. You, you can't buy my truck. What's wrong with you? But I mean, it, you know, and, and I wasn't that crass about it. Yeah, we laugh it off. But I mean, he was serious. He was dead serious. So, you know, everybody wants to get into diesel. And, and when you think about it, like diesel prices are more expensive right now. And I heard a very good argument against diesel not that long ago where people were saying, well, you know, when you, you look at the volume of gasoline that's out there, it's actually substantially higher in some cases than in diesel. Now, on the interstates, that's not true. That's absolutely not true. But in some areas, you know, you, you go to like a uh, one of the major cities, you start to get closer to the center of that city. You ain't going to find diesel fuel in there. It's just not, not the way it works. So... Um, why diesel? Because I know my answer for why I'm running diesel. And I just want to hear from, from an expert. Why are you running a diesel vehicle? Well, there's a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, uh, diesel engines are, are more suitable for doing work, right? So diesel engines uh, are, are going to have lots of torque, okay? Which is what we want when we carry a payload or when we do off-road stuff. That, that's a very desirable characteristic from your power plant. Um, diesel fuel is safer to transport. Now think about filling up your vehicle with a bunch of gas cans of gasoline. It's one thing outside the vehicle. Now think about that being inside the vehicle. It's volatile. Ooh, yeah. And all it takes is a little leak in there and a little spark and you're driving a Roman candle and you're going to have you're going to be getting out of it very soon. It's not a safe fuel to transport. Now, I'm not in the habit of answer of answering questions with questions. But what is what is the primary fuel the U.S. military uses? They run on yeah. diesel. Yeah, biggest diesel, the biggest diesel user in the nation, hands down. And there's a reason for that. Uh, so. Now you're right that that gasoline is is more plentiful out there, but you know we don't really know what to plan for. You know, either there's going to be a functional economy, or there's not. If 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 the situation is that you can't buy anything for whatever reason, then everybody is going to be running on what they can get their hand their hot little hands on. If you can't just pull up to a get a fuel station and acquire it along the way. Um, there is, it's kind of ironic that diesel is more expensive because let's look at the science. Diesel comes from crude oil. It requires a lot less refining than gasoline. You can get, you can take crude oil and turn it into diesel faster and cheaper than gasoline. So diesel, diesel costs a lot more because diesel has been targeted. And so essentially that's, that's a whole separate matter. Um, despite what diesel costs, I mean, it doesn't change the benefits of it. Now, it may change people's ability to access it. We're not, we're not basically, uh, we're, we're talking about what's ideal here, what's best. At the end of the day, people need to plan on making 
their mobility operations with whatever they have. It doesn't matter whether you have a VW bus or a diesel truck, you're going to end up rolling with what you've got. And there are a lot of ways to take what you've got and to, and to optimize it to sustain you and to, to take care of you if you have to um, undergo a movement like that in those kinds of conditions. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and I mean, you hit the nail on the head. That's all the same reasons uh, that and the fact that that there is longevity to diesel yeah. engines. They're, they're more, yeah, I didn't even mention that. You're, yeah, you're exactly right. Well, the, the maintenance cycles on them typically are, are much longer. And, and especially, you know, for example, um, you know, if, if you're driving a, uh, uh, any of the newer diesels that, that are out there, once you get the EGR off of them, um, you know, cause they, that's, that's another thing I can, I can grin a little bit about, uh, once you get rid of the EGR, you know, and, and, and that warranty, once is you kick the government out of your truck, that's right. Your maintenance cycles on, on your vehicle are going to, uh, decrease substantially. And that, that's really, really a good thing at that point. Um, you know, but people are really after older diesels because of that reason. Um, you know, I've got uh, two of my trucks never had EGR um, on them. Originally they did, but but that was all deleted. Um, and, you know, I have one of the more infamous uh, diesel engines out there, the, the 6.0 Power Stroke. I've, I've got a couple of those. And that's the one that, you know, once you bulletproofed it, it's a great motor. You know, it was great motor, but it had to be bulletproof. There was a couple of things. There was some compromises that International Navistar made to make them reliable. I mean, Cummins had the same issue. Uh, Cummins had the same issue. The new Cummins have a real serious issue with uh, both um, uh, the DEF as well as the EGRs on them. And, and uh, you know, they, they're having a lot of issues. You can look these up. You know, and, and uh, for the listeners, I know you're tracking on what I'm talking about, you know, but at the same time, there's a lot of advantages to having um, those look looking for older vehicles. I'm partial to super duties uh, because Ford super duties are built with with recovery in mind to them. Uh, there, there's certain aspects to them that, that are um, really any of your modern heavy duty trucks are, are built in this way, but Ford, um, some of their older vehicles, their older super duty package vehicles were built in this way. The tow hooks are exposed in the front of the vehicle. Um, they are built into a fully boxed frame. So you're, you know, and, and you have a solid, axle front end as well you know chevrolet when they went to independent front suspension um it rides good but it, i mean it does have impressive handling on the road superior handling on the road but you're talking about on the highway at that point um you know i i would rather have a solid axle and a hogshead with a, a locker a, a mechanical locker in the front end of my truck you know, and, and Dodge has been able to do that for many generations now, as well as Ford. Uh, so, you know, it, and, and again, I love my Chevys too. Um, but, 
you know, just, just pointing out facts. There's a reason that I have two super duties. Uh, and now of course, uh, a cuck B, uh, which is a, a Chevy old school box Chevy, right. Got, but got all those, you know, and, and, and there's a reason for that. Um, you know, Dodge, Dodge has got the highest resale value of them all though. Uh, that, I mean, that much is indisputable. If, if you put that Cummins name on something, it's, it, it immediately jacks the value of that thing up. Uh, tenfold, especially if you've got a standard transmission. Um, so, you know, talking about that, that kind of gets us into, so we talked about what's in the vehicle, uh, some of the planning considerations here. What about trailers? So trailers offer you the immediate ability to carry more, more supplies, more stuff. And, and I got to tell you, there's not a single person that you will find that will be put in a situation where they have to leave their home that's not going to be tempted by the consideration to be able to carry more of their supplies or more of their things with them as opposed to you know leaving it behind for who knows who so that's understandable but with trailers you are going to pay a price first of all if you're towing a trailer you're going to have less mobility there's going to be less terrain that you can that you can uh, drive across or drive through. You're going to have less maneuverability, and you're going to have less fuel mileage. I mean, you'll do better putting more weight on your vehicle than you will be pulling additional weight in a trailer. So uh, you're you're going to pay a price to carry more things. Now, it doesn't mean that it's not the the right decision to make depending on the circumstances. That's one thing that we always have to consider when we talk about this subject is context. Um, context can vary hugely from just a simple, you know, we're, we're doing this, we're responding to an ice storm or something all the way to, you know, the worst case scenarios you can imagine, you know, Yellowstone volcanic eruptions or, or EMP events that that take down the power grid. I mean, these are kind of worst case scenarios that are oftentimes the subject of, of planning and conversation. So there's a lot of ground in between there. So context is important. Sometimes it may be the right thing to do. Other times, maybe not. So that's up to the individual to decide what's best for them. But you're going you're gonna to be able to carry a lot of stuff with a trailer. There's nothing wrong with having that in your plan. But just know that you're going to give up you're going to give up, uh, you're going to use more fuel. You're going to give up some mobility and maneuverability with that. And you have to be prepared for the possibility that you might also have to leave that somewhere. So you keep that, you know, in the back of your mind when you load out. Yeah. Cause you know, I mean, I've got equipment trailers and, you know, uh, lawnmower trailers, different stuff, you know, carrying around a tractor and, and, you know, farm equipment and everything else. But it's one of those things that I don't think a lot of people really think about. And they say, you know, oh, well, I'm going to get in. I'll just, you know, pick up a trailer and now instantly I can double my cargo volume. And it's like, ah, that's that's not really realistic in all situations, um, especially for people that have never driven with trailers before. That's a whole slew of other issues, just as you pointed out. Um I mean, it's going it, to, it's going to cut down your mobility by about half. Uh, oh so, yeah. Easily. Yeah. And what about spare tires? I mean, you better, oh, you yeah. better plan on bringing them. And if you've got a dual axle trailer, sometimes you lose the front, the tire in the front axle, 
takes out the tire and the back axle as well. So I've had that happen. I've had that happen before. Um, so it wasn't that long ago. We, uh, we took an equipment trailer down to Atlanta to pick up a, a three-phase mill. So um, I'm going to neglect to name some individuals who were involved in this story uh, because one of them is a very famous gun maker and uh, the owner of this company. And, and I'm not going to mention exactly who he is. Uh, I'm sure he'd be fine with it, but we, we will protect the innocent in this. But um, we got a three-phase mill from him. And uh, this three-phase mill is pretty famous. It's made a lot of interesting firearms over the years. And so we took equipment trailer down there, blew out a, a tire, um, blew out the other tire. But we were ready for it. Um, we, we had an air compressor. Um, and had a, a uh, 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 air socket and was able just to get it right off. I mean, we pulled right off the highway. We saw it when it felt it, when it blew out, um, fixed it right there. And we had two spare tires too, because, you know, we, I, the tires on that trailer had kind of reached, they were getting towards the end of their life expectancy. Um, they, they had some signs of, of uh, wear on them. And uh, one of them had a little bit of dry rotten in the sidewall. And it's like, yeah, we, we need to pick up a couple spare tires. And we did, you know, but that your example is exactly right, man. Um, and, and, you know, I see, you know, when I'm traveling to class, you know, sometimes when I'm just going around here, like if I get out on 40 and I know you've seen this too, you'll see abandoned trailers on the side of the road all the time where mm-hmm. it's like dudes blew out a tire. They got to drop that trailer, you know? And, and, and I mean, it's just going to sit there for a little while until, you know, somebody comes and gets it. Um, you know, but I mean, it, it it's there, you see it all the time. So well, with just, uh, a few minutes left on the clock. I know that, that you've got your course coming up, your mobility course where preppers, preparedness-minded folks can come to this course. It's a three-day long class where they're going to get to experience these things. They're going to get to experience this in a controlled environment where you're supplying the vehicles and all of these things that, that you've talked about as planning considerations they're going to get to do all of that and then execute these skills. So tell us a little bit about that. Cause uh, personally, I'm really excited for this class. Well, um, first of all, in my opinion, some of the most key parts of it aren't necessarily the most, the most glamorous parts of it, but they're going to come in and over a course of three days, they're going to learn to, first of all, they're, they're going to learn about the subject. They're going to learn to, to plan such a movement. Okay, and a lot of that's going to be very familiar to to you and anybody who's gone to your classes, because that, you know, it's the same type of planning that goes into it. And then uh, from from there, they're also going to uh, pick up a variety of other skills. Um, There's going to be modules involved with vehicle recovery. And then there's going to be modules that are associated also with with defense that are going to be involved with your ability to to deal with threats that you might encounter in such an environment. And uh, that's going to include both dry training as well as live fire training as well. Now, so 
but that's not, that's not a must. If people come to the training and, and that's not what they do, that's okay. They're still going to be able to participate and be a part of that. Um, and we're real big on also getting significant others involved in this. Who's going to be with you? If you've got a role like that, who's going to be with you? Your family is potentially going to be with you. So we actually do our best to encourage people to get their significant others involved in these skills uh, because they're going to be right there with you when you conduct these movements and they need to also fill a role. You're going to learn how to organize and, and what the various roles are in conducting a movement like that and what the jobs are and, and what type of uh, people, you know, you might potentially need to fill those roles. We'll also be dealing with uh, how you how you prepare for such a movement, and we'll be dealing with the communications part. Communications is big. I mean, we're not we're not it's not the kind of thing where we're rolling down the road, chatty Kathy. But when you're rolling with a numerous vehicles in line, communications are a must to keep things organized, to keep things close to deal with uh, things that we're seeing. We can't speak with each other the same way we are when we're standing next to each other, but we see something down the road. We need to be able to communicate what we're seeing and then talk about, you know, how we're going to respond to what we encounter and uh, give commands, whatever. So there's some very specific radio protocols involved with this as well. So, and there's a, there's a lot more. Oh, we're running short on time, but I mean, you're going to leave that course much better prepared to go out and make a movement through a high-risk environment and plan it, coordinate it, and execute it. I'm going to have the sign-up down below uh, linked to Everyday Ready. Uh, definitely get in on this, folks. This, this is a class that I have not seen offered anywhere else in the preparedness community, and I think that it is one that is going to get a strong response and is going to get um, – it, it, it's getting into the details that are often overlooked or just given lip service to. Uh, and, and I think that it's critical. All of these skills are critical. So definitely want to fit this into your training schedule this year. First class is going to be in December. We're going to have a few more that are going to be going up on the calendar uh, going into 2023. Monty, brother, it is great to have you with us yet again, folks. God bless. Get into the training out there, brother. I'm going to have you on again and again and again, because we really need to be hammering this topic. Well, it's unfortunate that we have to, but man, we're so glad to, and fortunate to have people like yourself as well that are helping get the good word out and helping folks be prepared and be empowered. Thank you. Yeah, brother. And to all of you out there making this podcast number one in news commentary, God bless you all. Have a wonderful evening. And we will be back on the air very, very soon. God bless. This is NC Scout out. Hooray!